The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Hey everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark. Please rate and review this podcast and subscribe for free. And boy, uh, Philly is devastated this morning. This is almost going to be a therapy session. Let's bring in one of the greatest basketball coaches ever. The only man to win an NBA championship and a national championship. Former Sixers coach, Larry Brown. That was stunning last night, Larry. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you, but uh, fortunately, we have another game. Uh, you know, the, the difference in the game to me is, you know, Lou Williams and Gallinari and their bench and kind of our bench. You know, that was, that was such a huge advantage when you, you dock and you lose Danny Green and then you got to go to some people. Uh, that haven't been there before. It was a big difference. Lou Williams played like Lou Williams. And uh, I thought that was a huge, huge thing. You know, it's interesting, Larry. I just heard you use the word we. I know you've watched all these playoff games. Do you feel like you're with the Sixers in a way? Well, I, you know, I recruited some of those kids that are playing for Philly. And one of the kids on the team Shake Milton played for me at SMU. I got to coach Doc. Um, I think I coached everybody that's ever been in the league, it feels like. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Philly meant a lot to me. My family was there and loved it. You know, the teams that I was fortunate enough to coach there and, and the people I, you know, sat next to me are all special people. Uh, I care about that franchise a lot. Um, I know what, you know, we talked earlier today and you were talking about this is one of the most devastating losses we've ever had in any sport. But the one thing about basketball, we have game six. I don't think Harris is going to go two for 11 or whatever he did. Um, I hate to see us waste the game the way Curry played. I mean, that was incredible for that kid to step up. But. You know, we have another game, so let's hope something will be changed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Larry, I, I, I'm still just stunned. I mean, we're talking about up 26 um, and then a 24-point lead with two minutes left in the third. I, I mean, can you explain what happened last night? Well, I remember when I was a young coach, I was coaching in the ABA and I was with Denver and we were playing the Nets with Julius. We had a huge league in game six and they just mugged us, you know, the last 12, 14 minutes, the ref stopped making calls. We got real tentative. I was probably uh, a little bit gun shy. And if I was gun shy, I can imagine how my players felt, but sometimes when you haven't been in situations like that, it's hard to react and all the momentum I think switched. Uh, and we, you know, we did a poor job from the free throw line, you know, and Atlanta did a good job from the free throw line. And, you know, you give up points from the line that, that really affects you. Um, but it, it happens. I think, uh, a lot of guys have been in situations like that when we momentum changes and the fact that you've been inexperienced and haven't been in situations like that sometimes affects you in a negative way and Atlanta made shots you know early on when Philly got the lead and that Atlanta couldn't make a shot they had a lot of open looks but then when it really mattered they made shots and then you have like I said two experienced guys coming off the bench that are playing well it makes a big difference. Larry, you hit on two things I want to ask you about. Tobias Harris has been fantastic all year, a career year. And in fact, in these playoffs, uh, he was averaging around 24 and 10. So over the last two fourth quarters, he has no points. And to me last night, it looked like there were times where he was passing up shots. Did he get gun shy like you talked about? I don't know. You know, I'm not sitting in that huddle. I'm not with Doc. You know, think about this. The series would probably would have been over. Joel missed the layup. You know, as great as he played, you know, in game four, he missed he missed the layup. And this guy's been incredible. Uh, the level of play he's he's been is, is just remarkable. But I don't know. I don't. I don't, I've never gotten to coach Tobias. I've spoken to him a few times. I've, I've been really, really impressed with the way he's played. You know, the fact that, you know, Doc's movement to the four position, I think, has really elevated his game. But uh, I don't know what went through his mind. But I still think, you know, losing Danny Green was huge because you got to play two young kids that have to step up and guard some really quality players that can score the ball and losing Danny Green, who's been there before, who's won championships, I think has really been the key. Well, you know, Larry, in 2001, last time the Sixers went to the NBA finals 20 years ago, um, you had Allen Iverson and you had a closer, a guy who was willing in, in the biggest moments, the pressure moments to have that ball, take that ball to the rack, get fouled, whatever. Are the Sixers missing a closer? Because it did seem like nobody really wanted to finish last night. You know, again, that's not fair for me because I'm not around those people. But I know they have a closer in MD. 
And I think Tobias over the years, you know, has proven he'll score big moments. I don't know what's going through his mind, but I know as the coach, after a game, you can't focus on the fact that we lost the game. You got to move ahead and say, hey, we got this next game to play. You know, we still have an opportunity. I think we're a better team. We got the best player, you know, in Joel. He can get us a basket. We got the best defender in the league in Ben. So I, and Doc's been there before. I, I think Doc's done an amazing job because you look at that team, there's so many young players um, coming off the bench. It's, it's, it's a much different situation than Atlanta has. And people don't realize, you know, Atlanta has unbelievable talent in their young players, but they also have two great players in, you know, in Williams and Gallinari. And those guys aren't afraid of a moment. And when you're not expected to win, it takes a lot of pressure off you. Philly's expected to win. Uh, Joel's not, hasn't been there before, really, in a number of cases. And I don't think many of the other kids have. So I still think Philly has a chance. I hope, hope the town is not devastated. Um, I like that challenge. You know, the fact that, hey, we gave one away, maybe even gave two away, but we still got a chance. So, so you talked about Joel Embiid, and he can be a closer, but Larry, obviously he's playing injured, and you've seen the last two fourth quarters, he's one for 10. And it seems to me that he once again, uh, and, and even Clint Capella said he believes he can get Joel fatigued if you continue to pound him and work on him. So do you think Joel is getting fatigued toward the end of these games, missing the layup, and then last night once again, he, he shot it well the whole game and then just didn't have the shot at the end. Well, I'll take my chances with Joel. I recruited him and, you know, fortunately he was smart enough to go to Kansas. But uh, I, I think everybody's questioned his conditioning throughout his career. I haven't seen that this year. I really believe he's hurt. And I think he's pretty courageous playing like he has. Doc will figure it out. You know, if I was sitting on the bench next to Doc and trying to help him, I'd try to find ways to rest him because Dwight's come in and given some quality minutes. He really has. And we're going to need Joel down the stretch. But you said it before. Somebody got to wrap an arm around Tobias and say, hey, you're one of the best players in this league. You can't be afraid to fail. And I trust you. And I believe Doc will do that. Larry, you, you made a really good point about Joel getting rest. And that's the one thing that happened last night. The lead was slipping away with the bench. And, and Doc had to bring Joel back in. Joel was still resting a couple minutes into the fourth quarter. Do you think that that adds up over time, especially with the injury? Well, I think it's more the injury. Um, I think this kid's playing through pain. Um, and I think, you know, when you're struggling physically late in games, that's that's probably going to take its toll. But again, you know, they got a great coach. Uh, they got quality people on that team. I speak to Shake all the time. He loves the chemistry, loves everybody he's playing with. So, 
you know, I'm not in that bench on that bench. I'm not at practice. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I do have confidence in doc and I do trust what shakes telling me. So again, you know, in the playoffs, I don't think home court matters quite as much, you know, as during the season. So they got a day to get ready. Um, figure things out. I think they got to focus on how they got a lead and not think about how they lost the lead. And then truthfully, look at the bench statistics aside from, you know, Harris, look at the free throws. And I think those are two of the most significant things and the reason we struggle late. Totally agree, Larry. So let's go to the free throws. Uh, let's, let's stick with Joel for a second because Joel had made 20 straight free throws in this series. He was 11 for 11 last night. Then he gets to the line, uh, game on the line pretty much, and he misses two free throws. Now, we could talk about the injury or being fatigued at that point, but when Ben Simmons misses 10 free throws in the game, does that become contagious in any way with the other guys in the team? You know, a lot of people through my career has have mentioned that, and – I'm not surprised. I, I think you might be right. I remember when I was a young coach with Coach Smith, um, we were struggling from the free throw line. So we would spend a lot more time shooting free throws, try to put people in precious situations. And uh, sometimes it worked. Sometimes years we didn't even talk about free throws and we made them all, you know, so it's, it's, it's a situation that I have never really figured it out. The, the only thing that in my mind, I, I very rarely talked about it. You know, I've had four free throw shooters in my career and I used to let them shoot technicals to show them that I had confidence in them. But, you know, I, I don't know if you can be a good free throw show, you know, coach, uh, Generally, the teams that shoot the most, you know, have the most success on the free throw line, have the best shooters going to the line. When I was at Indiana and Reggie would go to the free throw line, we have great stats. You know, I'm sure Golden State, when Seth Curry is going to the free throw line 15, 20 times in a game, they're going to have great stats. But I'm shocked that Joel missed those. I don't think that's, you know, a normal situation. And again, you know, when you're in a one, two, three possession game and you're shooting 60% from the line, it's going to take its toll. All right. So Ben Simmons, obviously right now in this series and in all these playoffs, he's shooting under 33%. And they say that is the second worst in NBA playoff history for a playoffs with a guy that you coached in Detroit, Ben Wallace. Um, how much of a detriment has it become? Doc Rivers talked last night when Ben is not making free throws, we have to take him out in certain situations, which we have seen. I never took Ben out. You know, he's as good a player as I ever coached. Ben Wallace. Yes, he knew I cared. I trusted him, never took him out. Because my my thing with Ben is, you know, he knows I trust him. He knows the value I place on him down the other end and him just being on the court. I didn't worry about it. Uh, you know, again, 
Doc knows a lot more about his team than I do. He knows a lot more about the personality and character of the kids than I do. It's not my place to be critical of Doc Rivers. But just from my experience with Ben Wallace, there's no way I would ever take him out under any circumstance because I got to coach him for 82 games and playoff games and years, years to come. I want to know him to know I got trust in him. And, and, and really, when you think about it, that kid has had an amazing year this year. He ben should have been. Yeah, he should have been defensive player of the year. Um, I know they gave it to Gilbert. They generally give it to a center. But this guy guards one through five. Doc can tell him any time you guard this guy and he's confident he's going to make it difficult for that guy to score. So, you know, I, I don't know what's going through Doc's head. I just have confidence in his ability to communicate with his team and know what's best for his club. So, Larry, you know all about point guards. Um, and their whole job is to try to facilitate or create scoring, whether it's with all the guys around them or themselves. So Ben Simmons, um, you know, to have no shots once again in the fourth quarter, um, do you think that the free throws, because he says his free throws, he believes are more mental now. And I believe missing 10 free throws Cost, helped cost them the game last night. So do you think that affects all of his game? If the free throws are mental and he doesn't want to go to the free throw line, does that affect all of his game? Well, if he, if he doesn't want to go to the free throw line, I'm sure it affects his game. Um, but again, I you know, he's another guy I recruited. I went to Montverde, watched him play. I thought he was as good a young player as I've ever seen. He was as good a teammate as I've ever seen. Um, I'd have, if I was fortunate enough to be an NBA coach again, he'd be one of the first guys I'd want on my team because you know how I value defenders and guys that share the ball. Um, but again, you know, Doc's been there before. Doc's a great coach. Um, if I was sitting next to Doc, I'd tell Doc, put your arm around the guy, hug the guy, and put the ball in his hands. Say you trust him and go go do what you do best. So, but we need, you know, you need your best players to try to try to score the ball at the end of the game. You need a player like Ben who's capable of getting his own shot and getting others a shot. And, you know, I'm pretty confident they're going to talk about that. All right. But Larry, I mean, Stephen A. Smith told me, he said, this is going to come up and bite the Sixers. Ben's lack of free throw shooting and his lack of the threat to score, to shoot or score. And it seems like that's happening right now. Well, I love Stephen A. Smith, but he's a commentator. You know, he's not with Doc every day in practice. He's not around Ben Simmons in every timeout. He doesn't hear what Doc's telling him or Sam's telling him or his teammates are telling him. The only thing I would say, just from me, without I'm not being critical of anybody, I've had guys like him. I admire the hell out of him. I just tell him, hey, I trust your ass. You just go get it done. You make plays for yourself. You make plays for other others. If you miss free throws or miss a shot, it's on my ass for playing you. So have 
What do you have to worry about? I'll, I'll give you an example. I, when I was at Kansas, I had a freshman guard named Cedric Hunter, who was tremendous. He could guard. He was, he wasn't, you know, 6'10", like, like, you know, Ben, but he struggled making free throws early in the year. And he said, coach, why do you play me, you know, in the guts of the game when you know I have trouble from the free throw line? And I said, Cedric, if you miss a free throw late, they're going to be saying that coach Brown is a dumbass for playing. So what do you have to worry about? And throughout his career, he made big shots and big free throws. So that's just me. And I coach Doc. And I have, I have so much respect for him. I'm pretty confident he's probably telling this Ben the same thing. He's playing, telling Tobias the same thing. All right, but you watched game four in Atlanta. And actually game three, I'm sorry, game three in Atlanta, where Doc Rivers, after the game, said he challenged Ben Simmons, be aggressive. And you saw Ben Simmons really take over the game in game three, that big win. What is going on for Ben that I'm not saying there's a disconnect, but he, he kind of has to be forced or told to be aggressive and to look at his offensive opportunities. Um, do you think it's some trepidation about shooting and then also trepidation about getting to the free throw line? You know, again, you know, we, we get to watch games, um, you know, I get a lot of opportunities to go watch people coach. You know, I get turned off by commentators that say what they would have done after the fact. But they're not in the huddle. They're not at practice. They don't know what Doc's saying to Ben. Um, so it's, it, to me, it's kind of unfair for, for people to make these comments. Well, if I was coaching, I would have done this or that after the fact. Right, you know, right. I remember but yeah. But, yeah. but if Doc said to Ben in game three, I'm challenging you, I want you to do this. I don't think he's saying anything differently in game four or five. But you got to understand, we got two closers on Philly besides Ben. You know, you've got Joel Embiid, who can get to the free throw line, make free throws. You can throw it to him in the post. He can score the ball. He commands double teams. He makes everybody around him better. Um, you got Tobias, who out throughout the year has been an extraordinary in the way he's played. It's just a different thing in the playoffs. So it would be unfair for me to say what Doc's telling him. I just I have confidence to me that Ben Simmons is one of the best players in the league. I know Joel Embiid is as good as anybody in the league. He could have easily won the MVP. And we know what Tobias has done through the year. The biggest thing I think that is a difference between Atlanta and Philly right now is you got Danny Green, who's won championships in street clothes. You got Lou Williams playing like Lou Williams in the, you know, in the past, who's been there before. You got young players that can really play, and you got Dolan Art. I think that's been the difference, to be honest with you. It's been their depth and a lack of our depth, or our depth is mostly with young guys. All right. I, I agree with you. And then you mentioned free throw shooting. So, one more question about Ben. You said you recruited him. 
And it was fascinating, Larry, because Ben, I believe a year and a half ago, said when he was growing up playing basketball, because of his size, his ability to run the court, that nobody really taught him how to shoot. So when you were recruiting him, did he shoot? And did he have any confidence shooting or did he not know how to shoot? Well, I, you know, I, I played a bunch of guys with Allen Iverson that everybody said couldn't shoot the ball. But they could guard, you know, they made everybody on the court better. They allowed Allen to be Allen. So I, I've never gotten caught up in that. Uh, you know, I've had guys that have struggled from the free throw line and you spend time with them. Uh, I never worried about it. I th you know, again, I hear people saying Ben needs to shoot a three, needs to stretch the floor. I never bought that. I don't buy into that. I was... That's why I've been so excited about Doc coming there and focusing on all the other good things that Ben does. You know, you can become a better shooter. I really believe that. You know, you, you remember, I had Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen could take a basketball and couldn't hit the sidewalk three out of five times. He goes to San Antonio. He worked on his shot. He played with Ginobili, Parker, Sean, you know, Elliott, David Robinson, Tim Duncan. He led the league in three-point shooting. He was always open. And Pop said, anytime you're open in the corner, you shoot a three. I coached Rajah Bell. We got him out of the YMCA. He couldn't shoot the ball. That's why Pop cut him. We signed him late in the year because he could guard. He was unselfish. He was tough. He goes to Phoenix. He plays with great players, Stoudemire, Nash, Marion. He, he shoots open threes. He made them. I really believe people got to get away from this, talking about Ben Wood Simmons' deficiencies and focus on all the great things he does. I'd put his ass in the post. I'd make him every mismatch, take your man in the post or drive it to the goal because this guy has such a high IQ. He can make a layup. He can make a post shot, and he's an un unbelievable passer. So that's what I would focus on, and I guarantee you Doc's saying the same thing. All right, so last night in that situation, when Joel once again in the fourth quarter, he's struggling making a shot, maybe a little fatigued, a couple shots are short. Doesn't Ben have to say, okay, this is my moment where I need to step up a little bit, maybe get my ass in the post, like you said, and score a couple buckets, just a couple? Uh, again, you know, I'm not this commentator that's sitting here and saying I would have done that. Um, I just have faith they have one of the great coaches sitting on that bench. And I'm, I'm pretty confident he's probably telling you this He's telling Ben the things that you're saying, but, but Tobias got to shoot the ball. You know, you can't, Alan never worried about the consequence of missing a shot. I've had a lot of great players that shot a ball late in the game. And if it went in a, yeah, I'm good. If they missed, they didn't give a damn about it. And I've had a lot of great players that took the responsibility to take a shot late. And didn't care about whether they missed it or they cared about whether they missed it or make made it. So there's a big difference. Uh, there's some guys that, you know, 40 minutes 
are world beaters late in the game that maybe sometimes their personality is a little different. I don't know. But from my perspective, knowing Doc, he's telling those guys, hey, it's on me. I got your ass in the game. I gave you the ball. Don't worry about the outcome. I trust you. That was how Allen felt. And everybody on our team felt that way about Allen. So, but look, they don't have Danny. Joel's not 100%. We can all watch that. He's having to play more minutes than he normally does. We're watching that. So there is a consequence. But basketball is more than just one or two guys. You know, you know. look, remember in, in game four where they lost, you know, and Curry missed the three late, Doc, Doc set up a play. Shake came down the court, wide-ass open. You know, they, they backed off Shake three or four feet. He could have raised up and shot a shot. And I think he ran the play because here's a young kid, you know, trying to do what the coach told him to do. He did the right thing, threw to Curry, but he was wide-ass open. You know, now maybe next year or a year later, even though there was a play set up for somebody like Curry to shoot that shot, if he found himself open, he probably would have shot it. So, you know, that's basketball. It's coaching. This is the culture we're in. You talked about Allen, and you're right. I mean, he had no fear. Is that something that was just inside of him all of his life? How do you become a closer in basketball or want that ball in those pressure-packed moments with the game on the line? Well, it's, it's not something a coach has done. You know, Alan, Alan had that in him long before he came to me. Um, but the, the thing that Alan, you know, besides being as great a competitor as you and I have ever seen, he wasn't afraid of the consequence if he missed it. He wanted that responsibility. He knew his teammates trusted him. And hopefully he knew his coach trusted him. So he did it. That, that's something I don't think we can coach in a player. You know, we can try. You know, um, in my career, um, there were very few guys that I could say that I made a better competitor. I think that was a God-given gift, you know, that competitive spirit, that willingness to step up and take that challenge when things were really difficult, to take that responsibility at the end of a game. And we also had a team that was built to understand that we had Allen and we trusted him. You know, in, in 2001, when we lost to the Lakers, People forget George Lynch was out and Matt Geiger was hurt and wouldn't play. Um, we wouldn't have beaten the Lakers. They were phenomenal. But I think we would have won some more games. And we did challenge them in every game. We gave away game two by missing free throws in L.A. And who knows if we won what, would have won game two, what would have happened. But we had that special, special guy that, Played 48 minutes. He, well, he, he didn't play 48. He was mad at me every minute I took him out of the game. And he was as good in game in minute one as he was in minute 48. He never got tired. Um, and he was pissed at me. You know, every time I took him out, he mumbled something below, under his breath. But Yeah, but what, were the, do, 
What would the title of your book be? <laughs> I coached him 1,200, I mean, uh, 600 games. I took him out twice the game. So the title of my book is I've been MF 1,200 times. <laughs> but, but, but again, you know, this is me. We lost game five. I'm sitting next to Doc. And I'm telling Doc, and I know Doc's saying it, we're better. We got the best player on the team, on the court. We're going to be, be able to win this next game, and we're going to be able to close it out game seven. We can't harp on what's happening. You can't change, you know, missing free throws and going to game six. You can change saying, hey, Ben, you and Tobias – you guys are capable. Let's step up. I trust you. You know, we're better than them. Let's move forward. That's just me. And I'm confident Doc's telling them that. All right, Larry, in your, in your heart and then in your mind, who's winning this series? Give me one for your heart, one for your mind. Well, you know what my heart is. And I love those guys on, you know, Atlanta, you know, I, I recruited a lot of those young kids on Atlanta. Um, and, you know, I even, re, you know, tried Lou Williams out when I was in Detroit. And he was just a high school kid. And I love him to death. Um, my heart is with Philly. And my, my mind's with Philly. Because I'm telling them, you know, we, we had opportunities to close the game out. Things didn't work out really well for us. But. Things can change in a snap of a finger. And we have the two best players or maybe three best players on the court. So let's move forward, get ready for game six, and lace them up. Because the greatest thing to me is having the challenge to go on the road and to win a must game. And I think they have the character to do that. You said something very interesting there, Larry. If you were picking guys for a pickup game here, or picking guys for a team, you would take Joel, Ben, and Tobias over Trey Young? I'm sitting in Philly's locker room, coach. That's what I'm saying. I, you know, I recruited Trey. This is unbelievable. I'm going to tell you something, Larry. Every single name that I mentioned, you are connected to everyone in basketball. It is amazing. Yeah, I've been so lucky about it. Wow. So that's that's a gift I've been given. But, uh, you know, again, and I know Doc well enough. Um, I know his character. You know, I know what type of person he is. If you're going to sit in the locker room today or go to practice today and be worrying about the things that we didn't get done yesterday, that's a bad message. We got to focus on how good we are how capable we are, what we have in this locker room is enough to get the job done. And, and I'm pretty confident that's what they're talking about. And Larry, if you're Doc, I know you've seen the statistics over the last couple of times he's been up 3-1 and they've gone on to, lost the series, to lose the series. Does that ever creep into your mind, doubt about what's happening when you're up in a game or up in a series and how – losses happen and how series losses happen from that point? I, I had people talk to me about that. 
you know, I went through it as a coach. I, you know, we lost when I, <clears throat> I was a young coach in the ABA with a chance to win a championship. And right after that, people said, hey, Larry Brown can't win a big game. I heard them say that about Coach Smith. Um, he can't win a big game. You can't worry about that. You got to trust yourself. I, I, again, I don't think that the thing that's happening to Doc right now in my mind, he's sitting there figuring out, hey, that game is on me. I got to help my team get through and be ready for game six. That's the only thing I'm sure Doc Rivers is talking about. And if I was on the phone with him, I'd tell him they're in a better coach in the league than you, Doc. Those guys trust you. They don't win all those games during the regular season, you know, if it didn't, you know, if they don't trust in the guy that's sitting there. And let's remember, in the past, Philly couldn't win on the road. Remember that? They won a lot of road games this year. Big difference. I'd be focusing on that. And Larry, as we wrap this up, uh, how special was it to see Allen Iverson and Aaron McKee back in the Wells Fargo Center last night ringing the bell? And tell me about the relationship you have with AI right now. I, you know, there's very few guys I coach that I don't have a great relationship with. There's some that I coach that I feel bad about that maybe I, I didn't bring out the best in them. But uh, I love Allen. I, you know, there, you know how many times that we struggled together, but I never doubted his love for the game, his willingness to lay it on the line, the fact that he tried to win every game. Aaron McKee is as good a teammate as I've ever been around. Um, I wish though there were more people from the past that were connected with Philly. You know, Philly has a unique culture. Um, anybody that's ever been in that town that played for Philly, you know, feels the way I do. There's no better fan base, more passionate group of people. So uh, I get more, you know, every airport I walk through, people don't know my name, but they look at me and say, hey, you coach Allen Iverson. And I get a big grin on my face. Um, I know I got this gray here because of a lot of things I went through with this guy. But I'm, I'm so happy that Aaron and Alan were there and it's still connected to the Sixers like, like I feel all the ex-players are. And it's fascinating to me, Larry, that everybody talked about how tense and, and stressful your relationship was with Alan and his relationship with you. But you lasted in Philly more years than you lasted anywhere else. Six years, right? So is it really special for you to have a relationship with Alan these days? Oh, yeah. I, you know, um, when when all this stuff has been happening about the social media, social injustice and stuff like that, I I called so many of my ex players, you know, talking to them about maybe I wasn't sensitive to them enough or maybe I disrespected them, you know, without realizing it, uh, because it means a lot to me to have the relationships that you have with players you coach. Uh, uh, I want to be connected with the guys that I coach, the people that have coached with me, the people that allowed me to coach. Uh, it's important to me to keep those relationships up. You know, I'm, 
I'm going to go to Springfield soon. Ben Wallace is getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. Tony Kukoc is getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of people that every year I'm fortunate enough to go to Springfield and I know that I've been had a relationship with them. So uh, I'm not allowed to coach anymore. People think I'm too old and, you know, I can't relate to young people, but the people that sat next to me and that I've coached have meant a lot to me. Um, so when I see people talk to me about how Alan Iverson is their favorite player that they've ever watched, it really means something to me. Um, I'm living in Charlotte a lot. Alan's in Ballantyne, which is a suburb, suburb there. He coached calls me all the time checking on me i'll give you an amazing story it made me cry when john thompson died you know you know what john thompson meant to al you know alan was in prison john thompson recruited him brought him to georgetown when john thompson died alan called me up and said coach you can't die before me i can't go through this again like i'm going through with what happened to coach thompson that blew me away. So, you know, the relationships I've had with my players and coaches mean more to me than anything other than my family. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Larry, this has been fantastic to catch up with you, and that was a great story. And uh, I tell everybody, Larry... Your coaching job in 2001 is the best coaching job I've seen in Philadelphia sports history. And uh, obviously, you're one of the greatest coaches in basketball history. You are connected with so many people in this sport. And we love talking to you. And uh, let's hope your mind and your heart are right about the Sixers. Philly would be very happy if your mind and heart are right about this series. Well, I should tell everybody the phone call I got from you at nine o'clock. It was like talking to somebody who just lost his best friend. So you better be pumped up and positive also. Well, I'm a reporter, Larry. I I asked you uh, like 10 questions in a row about Ben Simmons. I had to ask the tough questions, but growing up here in Philly and then all the Philly fans, I mean, last night you should have seen the fans walking out of there. It was, I mean, it's like somebody lost their best friend. I mean, it was it was one of the worst losses ever. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you with your basketball expertise, your heart and your mind about the Sixers in this series. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for your kind words. I appreciate that. You're the best, Larry. We appreciate you doing this. All right, take care. <laughs>